How's it going, everyone? My name is Chris Hagan. This is Above the Standard, the podcast brought to you by Barbell Battalion. Uh, if you haven't, check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. The content is all different between all three platforms, but uh, it's phenomenal. We love it. Um, so today on the podcast, we talk with FDNY Battalion Chief Danny Sheridan. We talk about Danny's career in the fire service and what he's doing now and where he kind of started and everything kind of in between. I had a ton of fun talking to Danny. He's a hell of a great guy with a ton of knowledge on this job. Uh, so please, without further ado, Danny Sheridan. One and we're recording. All right. So today on Above the Standard Podcast, we're talking with Battalion Chief Danny Sheridan from the Fire Department of New York. Um, Danny, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know you have a lot of irons in the fire, and I'm I'm really generous uh, for the time that you've uh, donated today. Oh, my pleasure. No worries. Um, so, uh, Chief, um, I, I've uh, you know watched you for a little bit now. Listened to a, a lot of your, your your podcasts. I know you've been in you've been in the fire service for for a minute. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Chief, if you could just give us a kind of a, a, a background um, on, you know, what brought you in the fire service, what brought you on the job and, um, you know, you know, and currently what, you know, what, what role you serve uh, today? Right now I'm a battalion chief in the third, uh, third battalion, which is in the South Bronx. Um, I'm the battalion commander actually soon to be hopefully a deputy chief. I also spend a little time down at the, the Fire Academy. I work with this new concept. It's called remote tactical. So where we do is live drills and we put them out to the field. And uh, what else? Yeah. So I actually did that as a result of uh, being injured. Um, I had hurt my L4. So it forced me for the first time in 35 years to go on to this what we call light duty where you can't really do full duty right so i went out to the, the fire academy contacted uh chief freak frank lee he's uh the chief of the fire academy and uh, he had this idea to you know shrink because of covid right so we, we couldn't really uh bring that many companies to the fire academy like you know like normal so then he had this idea of uh, streaming video live doing drills and then it just kind of grew from there so so in uh in the in in the in the wake of covid so so what uh so what's your role in these uh these live drills that are uh stream i I think they're streamed to uh different houses uh among like within the city um yeah so what we do is we I don't know. We pick maybe a battalion or a division. We have one showing at 1030, another one at 1130. And uh, what do we do? So we like we started out very basic at the rock. We did what, um, like a tool. We picked this thing called the Blitzfire. And I had this idea. Well, I said, if we're going to be remote, why don't we go out and be remote? We went out and found a vacant building or a building that was under renovation. And we did a month long series of different types of tactics and strategies in these types of buildings and from that it kind of just grew until like we found another type of building like these class two buildings now just this last month we worked on towel ladders showing uh, how to set them up you know positioning you know 
taxpayer, you know, getting fire up underneath the, you know, underneath through the store, not over the roof, which is like a pet peeve of mine. And that that was uh, pretty. I think today was actually the last day. I didn't go in today, but um, next month we're going to start tackling uh, the new engines bulletin that we have, and we're going to just go from there. What's uh, what's the response been? from uh you know members within your own battalion or division or just the the word of mouth from the guys like you know, are they are they being receptive to it is there you know are, are some of the older guys um you know having a different uh impression than the younger guys or is it kind of a mixed bag or how, what's the feedback on it actually quite honestly not that i'm tooting my own horn but i believe that you know it's been very positive uh, it, it's um, it's I, I like the last the last month I had Mike Champo as my co-host because I'm like the I guess like the Johnny Carson he's like the the whoever the subject matter expert sure and uh, yeah and then I I brought on various different experts Chuck Downey helped us with private dwellings we had who else did I have I had a I had a captain from Midtown Manhattan. And we did, we did, um, what did we do now? Uh, all we did these class two buildings, like these sort of high rise, fireproof slash non-fireproof high rises. So I bring in it, like if I find somebody that is an expert in the, in that particular field, we'll bring them in for the month and go from there. I had Timmy Clett, uh, we did some engine operations with Timmy. So this is, we have a, Actually, now next month with uh, a fellow named Chris Roberto, who's a lieutenant, he worked in 48 Engine. He's uh, he taught at the Proby School for uh, quite a long time, 10 years maybe. He taught uh, Probies in engine operations. So we try to find subject matter experts that are uh, good on camera, you know. And I I'm I'm the host, and we just you know, come up with a 20 minute drill where we try to get as much information out in that 20 minutes. And then the, the idea though, for the drill, it's not the end all, right? So the idea is that, you know, they sit in the kitchen, they watch the drill and then it spurs like another hour long conversation. So it's actually been pretty receptive. So I've been, I've been having my, my hand in that. And then we're just actually launching a new uh, another concept that's kind of remote. It's called Sims You Share. Myself and Chuck Downey and a few other chiefs, we put together some simulations from a. Uh, it's a software called Sims You Share, and that's actually getting a very good reception. So there's a lot of new types of training happening in the FDNY due to the fact that we're kind of handcuffed from COVID. Right? We have kind of no no other alternatives if we want to continue training. So we had to come up with alternate strategies and it seems to be working out pretty well. Yeah. I'd imagine it's a pretty, um, uh, a, a pretty, um, you know, opportunistic, but also kind of difficult challenge in and of itself where you have, you know, nowadays the, the convenience and the opportunity to disseminate and, and, and share information very, very quickly with uh, amongst your, your members amongst your agencies through like through live streams through videos um and, and everything that you're doing but um 
at the same time, you're kind of missing that um, that you know one-on-one interaction, um, bringing other companies together and, and and getting the I guess you know someone called the sets and the reps in uh, on these particular operations. Um, has that been um, over the past year or so? Has that been a challenge for um, you know you as a you, you as a battalion chief and, and others in the city, kind of you know, working to not only engage other companies but also you know ma- maintain that level of hands-on um, training as well. Right. Well, I have no control over what happens after we do the the video, right? And the same with the Sims. We don't have really much control you know, on what's going to happen out in the field, right? So, you know, I can only, you know, I could only do my little part of it, which is get the message out there. And then hopefully, you know, the officers and the chiefs or whoever will take the ball and run with. But what I've heard, what we're hearing back from the field is that it's getting a great, it's getting a really good reception. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, Chief, what uh, what brought you in the fire service in the first place? How did you uh, you know wh- why and when did you uh, you know want to get join the FDNY um, and kind of explain what was the what was the the culture like at that time and um, what was the I don't know the, the 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 public sentiment around the fire service when you joined? Well, I guess I've I've always had quite a, a fascination. I had family in the fire department. I grew up in the city. And uh, I guess, you know, if I, if I heard the sirens, you know, my friends would kind of make fun that I would, uh, you know, I'd be looking to what's going on and chasing the fire trucks around. And I don't know, I just thought it was, uh, ooh, I don't know, it's just I thought it was, you know, quite the job, you know, like, uh, I figured there's no, there's no job like it. I, my, you know, my uncles, my stepfather, you know, I watched them. And, you know, my uncle told me one time, he said, I'll tell you, like, I was working on Wall Street, right? I went to college. I worked on, uh, I worked for Merrill Lynch. I was on my way to probably being one of those Wall Street, whatever. And uh, I just, it wasn't for me. I just didn't want to sit, you know, my life, I figured it had to have more meaning and more value than just trading bonds or whatever. So, you know, I, I pursued it. I pursued it pretty hard, actually, and I tried to recruit some of my friends into it, too. So, But my uncle did tell me, he says, you know, you're never going to be rich, but you're going to be happy. And uh, truer words were never spoken because um, it's 35 years, and, you know, I still look forward to going to work. So, um, so well, where, uh, where in the city did you, uh, you know, start out, start out, start out in after uh, probate school? So I left probably, I, I graduated probably school in 1986, August. Uh, I went to the South Bronx, 17 truck, which is uh, in the 14th Battalion, also known as My Haven. It's the, you know, the, the original South Bronx. So I, I spent five years in 17 truck. We were a towel ladder. And then when they opened up 41 engine closed, in 1988, they reopened in 1990 as a squad. So shortly after, I went to the squad. And same neighborhood, but we had a much bigger response here. We responded uh, over into Harlem, the 12th and 16th battalions. And then we responded in the Bronx up into the Cross Bronx. A little bit further, 19th battalion, 18th battalion, 17th, the 26th, 
the third in our own 14th battalion. So we had most of the Bronx and uh, it, w- it was nice. Uh, I was there for four years. I got promoted to Lieutenant in 1995. I went to, um, I, I originally went to the seventh division, but I, I went to SOC, which is a special operations command for a few years. And then I, I wound up in 58 engine, at the, the fire factory in Harlem. And then after being a Lieutenant in Harlem, I got promoted to captain, went back to the Bronx where I spent a few years in 46 engine as the captain and got promoted to battalion chief in 2008. And I've been a chief now for 13 years, mostly back in the South Bronx. So, yeah, I yeah. like the Bronx. Wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Um, what was um, in the city? What was, um, and, I, and I've heard you kind of explain this in other, epi- like other podcasts. And I was just wondering if you could just talk about it a little bit where, um, you kind of mentioned the public attitude towards public service and, 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 and first responders today is starting to morph a little bit to what maybe you saw at the, uh, at the, at the tail end of the, uh, the, I don't want to say the war years, but, but, uh, yeah. the start of your career. Um, so yeah, talk, talk about that a little bit. How is, you know, what, what was that, um, that 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 public attitude um and and some of the things that 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 you saw when you first got on and, and what were some of those um you know you know the 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 stories and and, and the the influence that uh guys had that 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 were your mentors at that time when you, when you started in the mid 80s right so when i got to the firehouse um, we were on 143rd street and i don't think the public really understood what went on in the, you know, behind the walls, behind those apparatus doors, right? So, um, we always had a really good relationship because I think that the, the people understood that they knew when, when they, they pulled the box or they, they called that we were coming. You know, we always got there very quick. And one thing I have to say about 17 truck was remarkable is that we seem to have, you know, we rescued a lot of people, <laughs> you know, it's just like, it, it seems like we didn't have that many fatalities. I mean, there were times when we had fatalities. And yeah, it was just, sure. It was just, you know, it was just beyond our control. But for the most part, I would say, and even to this day that, you know, we're still very good at, at you know, getting the public out of the these bad situations. And they know that. I feel that the the public, they know that you know when the chips are down they know to call us and they know that that we're going to take care of business right so um i can't say that about all the agencies it was ironic that you're asking this question because yesterday i'm sitting outside a uh, a building waiting for uh, some disposition on a on a on a call that we had and another agency came rolling by and lights and sirens and it was a woman and she wasn't all too happy with this, you know, this other agency. <laughs> okay. So, and then she said to me, she goes, but we love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they do. They they really do love us, man. They they know. Like, one thing I have to say about 17 Truck, right? Um, I don't know if you heard my podcast. I think it was the, the Christmas story that I did. 
and uh, you know, we had a fire. I think it was what year was it? Now? Nineteen. I want to say nineteen ninety. Yeah, it was um Christmas nineteen ninety. So we had a job in the projects, right? And this is something that I that makes me just so proud of seventeen truck and sixty engine, right? We um we had a fire in the projects. I remember I had the can. You know, it was a it was a burnout, right? They the lady lost everything. It was like a week before Christmas. And we, uh, I don't know, not me, but all of us, we rallied together and we decided that we're going to make, we're going to make Christmas for this family, right? The woman, I think was a, was actually an army vet. She had four kids. I mean, they just got wiped out. It was like their own disaster, right? The, The apartment was burnt out. And so let me think. So Christmas Eve, we... We decided that we're going to make Christmas for them, so we 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 bought toys, we bought food, diapers, the whole thing, and we made this presentation at her apartment, and she was just so overwhelmed with with gratitude. You know, what I mean, she just was crying, and you know, they're sleeping on mattresses in this burnt-out apartment, you know, and we show up with diapers and food and. A new, we got him a new Christmas tree, and you know. So, I think that's the kind of firehouse that it was. I, I remember in June, uh, Harry Hoey was a a revered firefighter in Seventeen Truck, and he was killed blind of duty in 1974. And as a result of that, we always had a mass. Well, it was Metal Day, right? So we had Metal Day. We always had a representation of Metal Day, and then the next day would be this this. Metal day, and then there was a dinner that we did for the the public. Right, we did a uh, a luncheon, but it was a full full on turkey Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, and then we'd have the mass on Saturday for all the, you know, to commemorate all the the lost firefighters in our company over the years. And then not only that, they started a tradition in Christmas where they they take the towel out of over to Lincoln Hospital. And they would deliver toys to the kids. So I have to tell you that, you know, just speaking from 17 Trucks perspective, that we had a very good relationship with the neighborhood. I remember I remember kids from the neighborhood uh, would come by and we'd mentor them. You know, they, they, they looked up to us and, you know, we would put air in their bikes and, you know, just all, that kind of relationship. So maybe we're not the we weren't the norm. But that was how it was in my place. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, so uh, as a as a as a uh, a, a kid on the job, um, then um, how was that sort of um, engagement with the public? You know, how how has that impacted you um, now as a battalion chief? You know, do you do you take some of that same the same uh, um, engagement with the public or attitude towards you know those kind of individuals and do you do you um how is it like do you express that with other companies or do you take that same sort of empathy um have you taken that same sort of empathy with you um you know as you've you know moved up the ranks well no i could say honestly that that's always stuck with me i think there's a certain i, I think that we're all cut from the same cloth like a lot of us in New York City had all been products of the, the Catholic school system, the parochial school, whatever you want to call it. And there, there is, 
you know, to take this job, you you have to. It's a it's a calling. It's not just a job, right? It, it's a it's your you are a it is it is part of your DNA. You become a firefighter, right? I always said there's two types of firefighters. There's the firefighter who it's part of their their essence, their makeup, or there's people that work for the fire department. And I would say the majority of the firefighters I know are are the former. Like for an example, you talk about carrying it through. Um, we had a captain, Jimmy Hallaby, in 48 truck. He he took it upon himself to go out and he, I don't know where he got these bikes from, but he just, the whole basement was loaded with bikes for kids. And uh, he, he was handing out bikes to kids in the neighborhood. So, I mean, this is just something that, you know, is done from, from a, a kind of a grassroots level. Um, so uh, one, one other thing I wanted to um, talk with you and, and you mentioned it before was, um, the contents that uh, are are in the uh, that are in living quarters now in spaces, even commercial occupancies, um, are are it, it seems like you know you know at, you know as the, the 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 years go on, like the 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 with lithium ion batteries and everything being plastics, um, is really burning to a whole you know a whole other level um, that. You know, you know. I, I would imagine guys like yourselves, and even especially those that came before before you and before them, had never seen, um, you know, a, a fire load um, like that. Do you, is there any point in your career that you remember, um, you know, thinking or noticing that, like, you know, hey, what what we were dealing with ten years ago, what, what we were dealing with five years ago, even the mentors that you had, chief. Were they were they saying like you know we're you know we've never seen something like this before in terms of the 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 fire load and the content that's inside of apartments nowadays? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the fire load is it's increased tremendously, but just look at at what hap- what's happening in the world, right? Everything is plastics and synthetics and polystyrenes, and and so you know when I came on the job, I could tell you the difference because. You know, you'd be able, I, I carried the can a lot. The can is the extinguisher. That's a position that we have in the FDMY where I carry, I used to carry the hook and the, and the can, right? The two and a half gallon extinguisher. And it was my job to, you know, go in and locate the fire, confine it, and if I could extinguish it. And I can remember when I first came on, you know, very often I, I'd be able to get right to the room and knock down most of the fire with the can because the beds, there was a, first of all, people had less stuff, right? That's another change that I've seen. People have more stuff, right? So they had less stuff. The, the furniture was um, made of, you know, just, you know, they didn't have these polystyrenes. It was all like um, carbon-based stuff, you know, like uh, like wood and paper, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Right? Um, Horsehair mattresses or whatever. So the, the stuff didn't have a lot of kick into it. The BTUs have like doubled now, right? Like a pound of plastic is, is kind of like the same as two pounds of wood or or at least uh, carbon-based products. Today, the stuff that's burning, not only is it is it burning more ferociously, but it's also, there's more of it. If people have just more stuff. They have big screen TVs. They have computers. They have... The fire loads have greatly increased. 
so um that's 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 a that's a that's a definite i mean you just look at the color of the smoke and all these these fires now the smoke pushing out of the windows looks like uh like an oil-based fire but the other the, on the flip side back back in the day we had most of the fires were arson so you know you would have a tremendous volume of fire because of the amount of diesel or, or gasoline, or they sometimes even use both. So that was the other side. But we're not seeing as much arson today as, as we had in the past, I think. I, you know, I don't know. I'm not a marshal, but it seems like most of the fires that we're getting today are, quite honestly, are electrical. You know, they're starting, like, accidentally. So, so how... Um... So wh- why do you think they're accidental? Why do you think they're uh, electric, electrical in nature? Is that just based on the, uh, at least the, the area that that the, the the building construction was developed in? And uh, I want to say I don't want to say the, the the lifespan of, I guess the the the, the cloth wrap of maybe two wire uh, electrical or is, is that sort of thing that you're experiencing? Or is there other failures or, or kind of exp- uh, you know talk about that a little bit? So this is my theory, right? You have this, these BX cables that run in the walls and people now, this is my own theory now. It's not noted, noted, noted. This is just this chief Sheridan's uh, Danny Sheridan's my hypothesis (laughs) on what's happening, but I've seen it. So this is my hypothesis. We have buildings that are anywhere from 75 to 100 years old. We have a lot of type threes, brick and joist and Within the joist space, you have old electrical, right? You know, who knows? Some of them even have, um, they have fuses, right? I think that people today, especially since COVID, are staying home. They're using their computers. They're using the big screen TVs. The kids are home. There's a greater draw on the electrical. These BX cables are sitting on these wood joists and they're pyrolysizing, right? So what they're doing is they're breaking down the integrity of the wood to the point where they're almost like becoming like brittle. And then they, what happens is they smolder for a while, you know, and they, they're within this enclosed space, this concealed space, and they smolder for a while. And then at some point they either fizzle out or they get a little burst of air or oxygen. And then all of a sudden they just take off and, that's why I'm a big proponent of, like, if you get an odor of smoke, right, you, you pull up and you smell it, right? Like, I'm not talking about food on the stove or electrical or paper or, you know, when you smell that, that wood burning, right, you know that you have something structural burning. Um, you, have to, you have to investigate it until you, 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 you resolve what it is because... If you don't, then you're going to come back later. Now, what, Guaranteed. when you say, you know, you have to investigate it, like what, you know, in, in the, um, in, in, in the standard and the expectation of, you know, Chief Sheridan, what, what are you expecting your officers to perform in terms of, um, a, I guess, an investigation on where it's coming from? Because I know, you know, for a lot of guys that don't go to, to many jobs, you know, they might have maybe this over reliance on, on on the tick, 
and there you and, go. And, you just you just hit the nail on the head. Okay. All right. So 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 talk about that. So ring the bell. Okay. So so what's your you know when 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 you show up and it's an odor of smoke you know what is right. one what are you what particulars what information are you looking for that's going to make you know chief sheridan warm and fuzzy inside to know i'm not coming back tonight um and, right. and but also what do you expect that officer or that company to do to uh to to make i guess quote unquote full investigation on whether or not they have something working in that wall space or regardless there you go great question so you have to think, right? Like, I feel like I'm taking a line out of backdraft, but you have to think. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it, it, I know it sounds corny, but you have to think about what's going on here. Like, you know, where are the wires? You know, so you start at the, maybe down at the electrical box in the, in the basement or whatever. And just have to think logically. Like, you know, what's happening? Like, check the, check the circuits or any of it. Like, if, if, the, if the owner of the house says, hey, listen, man, you know, this thing's been popping. I've been resetting this breaker like numerous times. You know, those those have to those have to kind of kind of pop out at you. Like, okay, you know, we have a problem here. Or if he says, "Oh, my my lights have been flickering," or whatever. Like, so what what makes me happy is that I don't. What I don't want to hear is, um, all right, ladder, you know, five four battalion three. You know, I have uh, I checked out with the thermal imaging camera and, and it doesn't show anything. Well, there could be insulation in that in that space. You know, it could just be masked behind the insulation, right? So as difficult as it may sound, you may have to go in and start maybe poking some holes, right? Or, you know, for the minimum, you take your hand and you put your hand up on the wall or, or wherever and you feel it. And if it's hot, you got to open it up. Because I'll tell you a story, right? I'll give you one fire story. I had a... A call for an odor smoke. It was a, a five-story tenement, and the truck company was in for quite a while, ten minutes, and you know they they're telling me they have an odor. So I said, okay, um, they can't find it, so they they want to give up and just give a a signal for an odor smoke. And I was uh, like, nothing doing. So I sent the second truck in to no avail. We're still now 20 minutes into this. We can't find it. So I don't like to do this, but I walked into the lobby. And ironic, just coincidentally, uh, one of the occupants in the apartment on the first floor, he opens the door. Hey, Chief, what's going on? I said, well, we're trying to track down an odor of smoke. He goes, this building, <laughs> he's ranting and raving. It's terrible. He says, the, the, my lights have been flickering all day. And this building's going to hell and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, unknowingly, unknowingly giving you a lot of clues now of like, okay, at least a starting point or another avenue, right? Yeah. So needless to say, I, I walked into the building. I put my hand on a wall and I, it was cherry red. So I called my truck company. I said, could you do me a favor? Come down to the first floor. And they came down. They opened up the walls. And sure enough, nothing but orange. So, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. Yeah. What um, what uh, what was your introduction to uh, thermal imagers when you came on the job to where they are now? What um, <laughs> and and the reason I asked the question, and and I have a frac one, I have a fraction of the amount of time on the job that you do, and I have one one thousandth of one percent 
of fire experience that uh, that that you and and your your, your members have. But um, the 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 chief of my department when I first came on didn't like to invest a lot of money, so we had a lot of a lot of equipment that was well past its, I guess, use life, but was still mm-hmm. operational. So, um, so I came on the job in 07, and my thermal imager. Now, in, in 07, they were they were handheld at this point. They they, you know, you you could they were bigger, but but you could have a handheld unit. My thermal imager was a helmet mounted bullard with like this night vision looking, um like military slash video game style like um camera that flipped down from the front end of a, a a turtle shell helmet and I wore a satchel a battery satchel over top of my whole like self and it connected cord to cord um so you know I, so in 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 even in my short time I was able to experience like one a a, a quick shift to see what the you know the, the the thermal imagers were like, but I guess the the crux of the question was it was always a a go to um, tool. Um, was that the same for you when you when you first came on, or when they when they were being introduced, and, and how have they um, developed amongst companies um, to 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 be a useful um, useful tool? Good question. Uh, it's kind of ironic that you're asking this question because. Yesterday or the day before, was the day before I was at at the Rock. I was doing remote tactical, and I was watching the two companies do their drill. And one of the kids I was working, one of the lieutenants, I like him. He's a good kid. He actually reached out to me because he wanted to do a drill. Something I had mentioned on Instagram or whatever Twitter about backfeeding a, a hydrant from a standpipe. So, you know, I was really impressed with him. He's he's very into the job. You know, he's working in, in a engine company in the in manhattan and uh i said hey how's it going you know um so we were talking and he's all he's all down you know and i'm like what's going on and uh he's like oh chief he says i'm terrible with this thermal thermal imaging camera i said well join the club <laughs> i said uh, me too <laughs> i mean I, i'm probably the I, I i just can't get my head around it you know um, we didn't have them when I came on a job. I didn't see the first one until I worked in Rescue One, which was probably in 1997 or 1998, and it was the size of a small TV. So I was telling them, I said, you know, listen, you know, the thermal imaging camera, it, it's just another tool, right? Your most, impo- your most important tool as a engine officer is your radio. Like, I want to know from you. I want to hear when you have water on the fire. I want to hear when rooms are knocked down. I want to see if, if you're having problems with, with you know, I, that's what I want to hear. I, this thermal engine camera might come in handy at some point. Like, you know, maybe you still feel a little heat. And you're like, man, where's this heat coming from? You might want to put the camera up for a second and take a look. But it's not something that we we have to be married to, right? It's it's a tool. It's not the, it's not firefighting. It's not. It's not how we fight fires with thermal imaging cameras. So, listen, I've gotten through my whole career with using it uh, sparingly. I have very, very limited uh, abilities on it. So, I'm really not the thermal imaging ca- guy. I, sure. I did, uh, ironically, though, I was part of uh, helping out at, at R&D when, when we were looking at new thermal imaging cameras. 
we we field tested six of them, and I headed the uh, the the program, the pilot program. So I don't know. Uh, firsthand, I could tell you that I'm pretty old school, you know. But I've been a chief now for, for 13 years, so I don't really have to use it that much. I mean, the young kids today, I think, are it, they're terrific with it. They they really have it down, and uh, you know. I, I just I seem to not be able to just be able to use it and then put it down. I, I get I find myself getting distracted with it. It's for me it's more of a distraction. I I like relying on my my other senses because I'm afraid that um, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like I feel like you're watching sometimes like a you're watching a movie or something. TV it's not real, and I need to have all my wits about me. So. But for the younger guys, I mean, it's a fabulous tool. I mean, if you're really good at it, I'm just, I just haven't been terrible at it. So I can't really, I can't really tout it. You know, I can't tout the, uh, the attributes of it, you know. So. Yeah, I know for sure. And I, I thought it was funny. You want to share a story that um, a, a guy that, that, that you worked with or knew of, um, he made a, he made a grab, um, he was talking with the news and he said something, you know, to the effect of, like, I felt like I was cheating, you know, when he, uh, when he was using the, the, the thermal or something, uh, making, uh, making the grab. I just I thought that was funny. Definitely a, a, a mix of, um, technique and, 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 and really, you know, old school search with, um, you know, an adaptation of, of, uh, of technology. I thought the whole thing was really, uh, kind of, you know, one interesting take from that when you uh, shared that story uh, of a while ago. Yeah. Um, with yeah, that. You have a good, you have a good memory. Cause yeah, I did tell that story. <laughs> that, that was Bobby Allen. Was it, okay. He was Bobby working, Allen. He was, a. Uh, he started out in the Harlem Hilton, 6928. And he, uh, was a captain. No, he was Lieutenant in 13 truck when that happened. Then he went on to be a captain in 69 engine. So yeah, he told that story and the way I, you know, like I'm watching the news and I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> You know, like he said that, yeah, I was cheating. I opened the door and boom, I could see the guy laying on the floor, right? So, and I think only, I think, you know, members of the fire service would really only, you know, get the kind of humor. I think he was like, you know, I, and I didn't see the, see the, the, the episode back. I can, I can, um, picture, you know, I know exactly what he's saying. I know, I know other guys on the job, you know, know what he's saying, but it, it, it I can, I can only, like, I can, like, I, I guess see what he's talking about. You know, you, 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 you have, you know, all this time and experience and training. And then, you know, at least in that situation, it seemed more of like he was able to really utilize the camera point, shoot, there it is. Okay. Grab and go. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure maybe the, to the public, it might have, have sounded different, but put guys on the job. I think we all, we all kind of, you know, would get that same, uh, um, that same opinion, you, you know, um, so, uh, Chief, one um, one one thing I did want to you know talk to you about um, was fires in taxpayers because um, in, in in my area and I think um, a lot of areas um, outside of a big metropolitan city um, are kind of bread and butter. Ninety percent of our fires are going to be. In, in 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 single family dwellings, you know, you know, anywhere from you know thousand square feet all the way up to two and three and four thousand square feet, depending on your your area. But one area, chief, that, that we don't have too much um, 
experience with, I would say a good number. Well, first of all, do you know why they're called taxpayers by any chance? So I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't. So there is uh, south of me, when you get closer to Detroit, there, you know, the, the terminology within our counties is, is crazy different. Um, even within the county is crazy different. Back roof, cockloft. You know what are you know what are things that that, that you keep in mind that that is, or you're looking out for Tax on these kind of jobs? Came about when someone had a piece of land, right? And what they wanted to do is they couldn't afford to build like a nice apartment house or whatever, right? So they built a very shoddy one story, two story, maybe max, a building for commercial business, right? And the reason they built it was to pay the taxes, right? So they put stores in there and and then that's how the term came taxpayer, right? Because it just pays, it's just there to pay the taxes, right? Mm-hmm. Until they can get enough money, which I, I see I see in my old neighborhood, right? The, the taxpayers are all being torn down. Now they're putting up these high rises and stuff, right? So it's just to, just to pay the bills, right? So that's a taxpayer. What I do hear sometimes and... You know, someone will say, yeah, no, it's a, there's a difference between a taxpayer and a store in a multiple dwelling, right? So if there's a, let's say a five-story building and has a store on the first floor, right? Whatever has the greatest use, which is most mostly a multiple dwelling, that's how the building's designated, right? So we would say, you know, we have a fire in the store in a multiple dwelling, in a class three multiple dwelling, right? We wouldn't say a taxpayer, but I have heard on the radio um, people use the term five-story taxpayer. <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh and I, I joke with some of the guys, you know, that about, you know, like some of the guys I speak with, uh, um, you know, how funny it is, right? So, you know, taxpayers are generally one or two stories. Um, I would say that, you know, ours in New York, there's three generations of, of taxpayers, right? There's the early ones that were built around the turn of the century up until about the 20s. And then, in the 20s, they they introduced uh, the bowstring, and then you have your supermarkets and your your bowling alleys and all that kind of stuff with the bowstrings. And then you have the newer ones that have built on slabs, right, with different types of construction, with metal joists and whatnot. So you have to – I would think that where you – if you're in the suburbs, I would think that most of yours would be more of a newer construction, like a strip mall, actually, and more than a taxpayer. Uh, yeah, so dependent. So you know, there's other, you know, my my district, you know, for one, yes, and, and then other areas that are, are, I guess, local to me, that um, those cities that were really, you know, developed, um, uh, you know, pre, you know, pre World War II, um, you know, especially the closer you get to Detroit and in Detroit, a lot more, um, a lot more taxpayers. Um, that are, I would say of the conventional sort that, that maybe you're used to. And then um, I would say more so in my district that um, it's either going to be a, co- a conventional new build strip mall. Um, and then what we also have is not really necessarily then the taxpayer would be like a, like a an historic downtown area with, you know, first floor commercial with like two and three stories above it for uh, residential. All right. Uh, that's not a true taxpayer, right? That's a uh, yeah. So that's a that's a multi dwelling with yep. with the store in it, right? So you know the true taxpayers. Again, 
it depends on the time of day or night, right? So generally, if we get them during the day, you know, it's it's more manageable, right? Because uh, they they're not getting this head of steam. But if we get them when you know, a lot of times what happens is the store is closed, and then somewhere in the middle of the night, someone smells smoke or whatever, or sometimes even they open up the next morning, they open the gates, and they get a face full of of smoke, right? So generally, they start in the rear for some reason, and the way Good way to remember this, the way they pitch the roofs is that if you think of it this way, this was a little study tip that we used to throw around. The reason why the the, the roofs are pitched towards the rear is that the, the owners of the buildings or the stores don't want their their customers to get wet, right? So they want the water to run off the back. I know it doesn't make sense, but it's a good way to remember it, right? So, yeah. But what, but what does that mean to us as firefighters? So it means that if the pitched and the highest point is towards the front, and the fires generally start in the rear, there's a good chance that that fire is going to travel in that cockloft space up towards the uh, the front of the building, right? So the biggest concerns in taxpayers, if they've been cooking for a while, especially after midnight, is the, the front parapet wall. That's the, that's the biggest problem, because collapse in the front, because... That lintel, that that I beam that's running across the front of the taxpayer, if 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 fire is impinging on it, right? Let's say you get a fire and it's you know it's cooking and it's it's starting to get on the uh, I beam, that that could get pushed out. Let's say a 50 footer could probably go about four inches, and a 100 footer may even get pushed out nine inches, which is enough to to really uh, you know do do a lot of damage. The late the the latest one I saw was um, in, I think it was Syracuse or Rochester. I can't remember. Yeah. One of the one of these cities in New York, it was a paint store. And there's some great video on YouTube of the, the front parapet wall collapsing. And I can't remember if it was Rochester. I think it was, I'm, I'm thinking it's Rochester, but it could have been Syracuse. But it, if, if you could, I think it's called the Something Blue Something was the name of the store. But it's an incredible video of the front parapet wall collapsing. And the chief did a great move, man. He got every, he cleared out the front of the building. He put everybody out of the collapse zone, and it collapsed, and, and no one got hurt, which is what we're looking for. Absolutely. And what um, – again, this is going to sound kind of like a dumb, a dumb question, but there are uh, umpteenth departments that, that, that I think revert to operating this way. Um, what you, uh, what, what, what's your, the, the, the SOP or the designated, um, attack line selection for, for a fire in one of these? Without question, two and a half. Again, another dumb question. Why? Because, all right, so we stretch two and a half for a few reasons, right? And I have a little acronym. It's called Dallas, D-A-L-U-S. If it's going to be a purely defensive operation, if it's an advanced fire on arrival, if it's a large uncompartmented area, right, um, or size is unknown, or a large volume of water needed. And then the last one is, um, is off the standpipe. But you could also say size unknown. But, then you know, Dunn says... Uh, one, two and a half could extinguish 2,500 square feet, right? So 2,500 is what? Is 25 by 
100 or 50 by 50, right? So yeah. most taxpayers have higher ceilings too. So what I always advocate is that don't be swayed by like, well, it's only one room or whatever it is because, you know, even though it's a big warehouse or whatever, we're going to stretch inch and three quarter. You have to go by the size of the building. There's just no question. Now, what we've done, just funny, um, in the last, it's not even published yet, but, and I know Ray McCormick had a hand in this because I spoke to Ray about it, but in the five stories, let's say with the store on the first floor, like the little bodega, we're going to start stretching inch and three quarter. That's only because it's a smaller area, but anything that has a potential for a large area, we're, we're going to stretch the, um, the two and a half. Yeah, and and I and I bring that up because, um, it it's um, I think a a a big thing again, not so much maybe in the uh in in, a, in an urban environment, but in the more suburban and rural area where, um, the the amount of jobs they have per year per month uh, are are low, um, and their uh their their abilities to um manage or their experience level to 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 pull to pull a line may not may not not all be there and so um, i think a lot of um departments and you know my surrounding agencies um are definitely guilty of it too would be to pull an inch and three quarter a lot of times more often um than than they should but given the the the, the, the fire load under the confines that the the inch and three quarter for them is just easier to maneuver and manipulate and i think there you know there is a a reluctance i think i don't know if that's for nozzle reaction um or just the sheer weight of the two and a half um uh coming off that uh, i i think guys will um will, will shy away from and but in your agency, is that just something that's drilled from the very beginning at Proby School to, to where, you know, it's uh you know, regardless of how much it sucks to, to, to pull that two and a half, they're pulling that line for a reason. Absolutely. Um, that's drilled in our heads. You know, it's kind of funny you should bring this up because the other day when we were doing our, our drill, one of the chiefs that runs Proby School, I saw him with his white shirt on. He's He's humping hose, so I was breaking his chops a bit. I said, you know, the Chiefs, we don't touch hose, you know, Frank. And he's uh, he's laughing. He says, well, we don't have a second engine here, so I have to, you know, I got to help these guys out. And I get it, you know. Um, listen, I, I don't know if this analogy would make sense, but, you know, I'm not a hunter. But if I was going out hunting elephants, I'm not going to bring a, a 22. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, you, you, yeah, I get it. it yeah, sure, it would be easy to carry a, a, a little twenty-two rifle with me, but you know what? <laughs> and you might get, you're going to get stompled by the elephant, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah <laughs> all, you're... all you're going to do, all you're going to do is piss them off, right? So, <laughs> right, right. Um, I don't know. I listen. I, I don't want to have. A, I don't want to cause anyone any like. Well, you know, screw him. You know, we're, we're going to stretch an inch and three quarter. I'm just telling you from my experience that. You know, the two and a half puts out 250 gallons a minute. The inch and three quarter puts out, whatever, 180. So do the math. There's a 70 gallon a minute difference there. That's, what's the math? 
you know, 25% more water, whatever, or maybe even more, right? Like 33% more water. So yeah, and I would say that that um, that gap is even, I would say even the potential for that gap is 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 you know bigger because you know there's many and and like mine included we we you know have about 150 gpm nozzles on our on our inch and three quarter and you know now there's there's spec and and discussion that that we could flow you know that 250 that 260 or 300 on 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 a two and a half so you know you're 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 talking over 100 gpm more now um you know almost 150 gpm more now um based on your attack package so i think it's a i think it's a a, a one um a, a great thing for other people to hear that the, the 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 guys that do this every day especially one that's as prominent as the fdny um they you know and i, and I get this i get this a lot from either different agencies i won't say mine um but i've gotten you know a couple, a couple uh, some pushback from 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 chiefs um or or other officers that uh take a rendition of an operation that you guys do and and you know I'll, you know we can hey we can mount uh you know uh, we can put this tool in this compartment or we can you know hey put this here or we can you know put this this line in place this way and some pushback unfortunately is you know well we're not FDNY so we can't we're not going to do that um and again yeah we might not have the 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 sheer number of personnel coming to uh to a job that that the uh, an all hands fire might bring that the FDNY brings but at the same time we're taking influence from guys that do this every day that have kind of determined what works what doesn't or you know we have found the 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 the, the most effective way to accomplish you know you know this mission is is some of these areas that um that that my department and other departments that don't don't have the run volume would would take centuries to develop a a um a culture or an sop that that really you know there's a a lot of departments that are busy that are kind of doing that work for us in terms of what they experience and what they work through to make sure that their guys are are as deployable as possible you know i could tell you i could just tell you that there was probably no worse feeling that you're in the middle of the it's all on man it's hitting the fan and you you got that nozzle and you're trying to put the fire out and you just don't have enough water to put it out. There's, that's a horrible feeling. So, um, um, so Chief, I know you, you probably have have a, have a busy day. One thing I wanted to just kind of kind of close on um, mm-hmm. and uh, d- just kind of talk about here is what what expectation do do you set specifically? Um, Oh, or what? What attributes, characteristics do you expect um, for new, for either new officers or officers that are working with you, lieutenants or captains? Um, you know, what what do you what do you expect out of them to to ensure that the operation is gonna you know you know bring bring you know men and women home, but at the same time is gonna get you know you know the 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 residents and the occupants. You know, in the safest position possible, because there's got to be like an element that 
that because uh, I've seen you enough and or I, I, I've, I've absorbed a lot of your content enough to know that you are definitely into the job. You you post a lot. You you have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge. Um, you know when you have you know companies and company officers that are that are in your division. You know what's what what's an expectation that that you have to set for for them that they're that they're going to work under. Right. I I would say the bottom line is this: is that listen, there's no secrets, right? You you you're not gonna you're not gonna come work in my area because I I just have to look at your you know I have a writing list and I I know when you were promoted, I know where you worked, I know everything probably about you. I mean, that's what we do in the fire service, right? It's a, it's kind of we they talk about it in the wildland. They kind of like dogs sift each other, right? They they like sure. Where you work? Where'd you work? Where did you work? You know, and it's kind of funny. This guy Billy Shaw, yeah. So he had tremendous amount of experience. He worked in seventeen truck, and then he got promoted to lieutenant. And then <laughs> to mess with people, that's the kind of guy he was. He would, uh, you know, they asked him where he worked. <laughs> he said that he worked in the audio visual unit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, what I'm looking for is that, you know, just. You know, be humble, right? Don't, if you don't know something, don't, don't act as if you know it, right? And don't, don't put on any kind of airs. Just, uh, you know, if, if you're struggling, I mean, when I was a brand new lieutenant, I mean, it was, it was a kind of running joke is that this is before cell phones and computers, you know, I'd be working somewhere and I, I'd run across something and I'm calling Jimmy Ferry, I'm calling this guy, I'm calling that guy. Jimmy, what do I do? You know, what do I do? You know, like, right. you know, we, we feed off each other, but, you know, we try to, you know, we do it every, at every rank, you know, like, what do I do with this? Even when I became a chief, you know, like, Oh God, what do I do? You know? So don't be afraid to ask for help. man. I mean, if you don't know something, because if you, if you're going to try to act as if, and you don't know, really know what you're doing, then you can get guys hurt. I'd rather hear like, you know, instead of giving me a bad answer, like, chief, I'll get right back to you. You know, let me, uh, <laughs> and then if he's got it off, you know, just ask somebody. Don't even be afraid to ask. You know, sometimes, sometimes the firefighters have the, the best answers, you know, like they see. I remember, I, I'll give you an example. I had a fire. I was a captain. I was working in Harlem. And it was a, it was a school, right? So we had a, one or two classrooms going. And we stretched it two and a half, by the way, because it was a large fire. And... I didn't see it because of whatever reason. I didn't see that there was another door that was would have got us to the classroom probably another length quicker, right? So I went all the way around this hallway and I and I go to this other door, and then you know we knock the fire down and whatever. And then after it, the probie says to me, says, "Hey, cap, he says, you know, there was another door over there, right, as you come out of the stairway." And I said, "Well, why didn't you say anything?" <laughs> he says, "Because I'm only a probie, you know." And I, I listen, there's no egos on the fire floor. You know, there's, uh, you know, guys see things. They, if they see it's right, you got, you know, I listen many a times, you know, I, the firefighter, I would say something and the officer would be like, Hey, yeah, thanks for letting me know that. And even today I get sometimes lieutenants and captains come up, Hey chief, how about this? I'm like, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Do that. It's a good idea. You know? So I think that it's got to be a, a two-way, two-way street. You know, part of, one of the qualities I wrote an article a long, long time ago about the, the qualities of a good incident commander 
And one of them is a team building ability, you know, and that that means that you you could accept direction, but as, as well as giving direction, you know, building the right team and putting the guys in the right spot. So yeah. I, I think that's what it's all about, you know, just humility. And if you don't know, don't don't fake, it. <laughs> you know, just get the right answer. Absolutely. So in what element do you feel the in in, ter- in in specifics to the incident commander why is that why is that team building um approach um better or more successful in your opinion because i think you know we we've you know people listening and, and others have known chiefs known officers that take more less of the team building and more of the authoritative um approach to um you know rank and this is you know, you know my show why have you found that 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 team building experience is better well i think it's you know first of all we have to put our egos on the shelf right because i i'm not there to try and impress guys i don't really need to do that what i what i'm looking for is i want the best outcome the safest outcome and the best way is to use all your 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 tools to your best advantage. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to listen. If I need a wrench, I'm not going to use a screwdriver. You know what I'm saying? So I, I got to use my best tools to get the job done. So, you know, I'm only as good as my guys, right? The firefighters, right? So when they do well, I look good. If they screw up, then I, I have to take ownership for that. So I, I like to defer to my experts. I'll give, you, I'll give you a story about a chief that I didn't think was really a good chief. I'm working in SOC, and I worked, I was working in HAZMAT, right? I know about as much about HAZMAT as I do about quantum physics, <laughs> okay. right? Like, you know, I'm a rescue guy, I'm a squad guy, you know, and I'm working, because it's part of SOC, I'm working in HAZMAT. So I go out to another borough, and uh, you know, we had a hazmat incident, and the, the chief asked me, he says, hey, Lieutenant, he says, he starts asking me all these questions, I says, hold on, Chief, and I got on the radio, he said, you know, hazmat officer to, you know, this, this top guy, this top hazmat guy, and he starts berating me, he's like, what are you doing, you know, you're the lieutenant, you're the one that you should know what you're doing, and, and I'm like, hold on, Chief, time out, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for the night, okay, right. this, this, this guy's been here for 20 years, and he wrote the book on hazmat. So right. I'm not going to try to give you an answer just because I'm the lieutenant, because I got a bar on my shoulder. I'm not going to give you an answer. Let me, let me defer to my, my experts. That's what, that's what we have them for. So that's kind of how I sum it up. You know, I, I just think, you know, look, there's my favorite movie is called the Pope of Greenwich village, right? It's about these two knuckleheads that bang around New York city and they're like wannabe gangsters. Right. And there's a, a scene with, where they're at the racetrack. And the the horse has its hooves, its front hooves in a in a pile of salt salt water. And the the, the Italian kid from there he goes, look at this guy. He's got this uh, this uh, you know he's got this hooves in the water. And he goes, listen. He says, let's stick to what we know here. You know about making mozzarella cheese. You know about waiting tables. He knows about horses. And that's the best way to sum it up. Like you just stick to what you know, and if you, you know you stay. We say in the IMT, you know, you play in your own sandbox. You don't try to 
playing other people's sandbox. And that's, that's, that's the key to success. You know, just excel at what you're good at and don't try to play in other people's sandboxes, stick to what you know. And that's, that's how you, how you get success. And if you're a chief, let your firefighters and your officers do what they do best. Don't try to micromanage, just stand back and, and when you, you'll know when you have to, when you have to step in. I know sometimes when I have to step in and it, for me, it's tough sometimes. Like, you know, I get a young officer and he's giving me a report and I'm not happy with it. I have to find out an excuse of, uh, you know, how am I going to kind of override that, you know? Yeah. Get, get more involved without, uh, I guess, getting more involved sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, um, I had a, I had a lieutenant one time tell me, I went up to the, to the floor above and I said, how you doing, Lieutenant? I said, what's going on? He says, oh, well, good, Chief. Well, good. Meanwhile, I could feel the heat hit me <laughs> in the side of the face. And I'm like, now I'm trying to figure out, well, how do I tactfully get that wall open to get to the fire that I know is there when he's telling me that the, um, you know, that the, the, that it's all clear. And so I said to him, I said, you know, Lou, let me just, uh, I kind I want to check the, the rear yard. I got to just take a look at something. And I kind of walked by the room that where the fire was behind the walls. And I was like, I said, hey, Lou, do me a favor. Just check this out for me, would you please? I'm not sure. You know, and then sure enough, he opens the wall. Yeah. Fire, fire everywhere. Was, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Wall of Orange. Um, yeah. So, what would you, Chief? What would you say um, was the biggest difference when you promoted from lieutenant to captain and then from captain to battalion chief? What, what were the biggest? I won't say a wake up call, but what did you take away? The the, the what were the biggest changes that you saw between the promotions? Um, of those two ranks, lieutenant to captain, and then you know subsequently captain to to battalion chief. Well, lieutenant to captain is, is there's no difference, right? Because I do the same job. I used to do mutuals with the captain, so there really is on the fire ground no difference from between being a lieutenant in New York City Fire Department and a captain. The biggest jump is when you go from firefighter to lieutenant because now. Instead of being responsible for only yourself, like I was great at that. Like when I was in a squad, you know, you know, I just had to worry about myself. You know, sometimes once in a while I'd have to take care of a younger guy, but um, for the most part, I was just, you know, worrying about myself. Um, the jump to lieutenant captain, I know, no, nothing at all. And then the jump from captain to chief, that was that was a big change because, you know, I, I know my first year or two. I was struggling a little bit because, you know, I, I remember one guy made a comment. He said, if you're looking for the chief, he's right behind you because you were learning to let go. You know, <laughs> you're used to, you're used to being like seeing it yourself and, and, you know, you're not taking anyone's word for it, you know? So it took, it was an adjustment for me to sit in the, you know, stand in front of the building and get a report from an officer and saying, okay, chief. Yeah. It's a, it's a food on the stove, no extension. Okay, <laughs> right. You know, and, you know. So now, you know, I, I, you know, I, I pick and choose. I mean, if I have this, you know, I have to use some other senses. I mean, if I look up and smoke is still pushing out the windows, and he's telling me there's no extension, I may have to <laughs> reevaluate the the the, uh, the transmission. But for the most part, that's the biggest change from being a, a captain to a chief is that you have to learn how to delegate and you know just accept you know 
that you know the reports that that are given. Um, and then you you were saying at the, at the very beginning that um, you know there's you know uh, maybe in the not so distant future or you know coming down the line, um, you know you'll 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 promote you'll promote up to a deputy chief um, uh, in the department. What what's the difference with uh, with that position? Uh, in, in, in variation from what you do now as a battalion chief? Yeah, so battalion chief, you know, I have the whole ball of wax for the first five minutes until the deputy gets there. When he gets there, I kind of pass it off to him. If he's a good deputy, he'll leave me alone and let me run the fire. If not, and he wants to kind of, you know, kind of throw his weight around a little bit and then take over, by, by all means, go ahead and do it. But then... You know, then I, I'll I'll become maybe a sector, and then I report. You know, so the deputy sees the big thirty thousand foot level picture. Certainly, awesome. Yeah. Um, Chief, I, you know, I, again, I, I appreciate the, the the time that you were uh, gracious enough to donate uh, to me today to talk about the job and and in your in your career. Um, if people want to f- like connect more with you and see the stuff that 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 you send out there, you know, where where can people find you um, on social media? Yeah, so let me see. I always forget what I have. So I know I have Facebook. I have a what's it called? It's called a um, what is it called? Let me just get it right here. Battalion Chief Danny Sheridan. That's my uh, my my Facebook page. My Instagram is Danny underscore Sheridan FDNY, and my Twitter is DPS Sandman on Twitter. And then I also now have a new podcast of my own that I do. It's called The Invisible Hand on the Fireground, which is on Podbean, it's on Apple, it's on Google. And uh, I have to tell you that, um, I mean, I don't know how to judge it, but it seems like it's getting some good, good reception. So. It's, you know, it's kind of a spiritual based firefighting podcast where we we talk about uh, both, you know, um, what do you call it? Um, fires, but, you know, like where there might have been a, a divine intervention, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And we'll make sure to uh, link to that and provide a little exposure to the um, to either your website and or the podcast itself. Um Hopefully, give you drum up some more um, interaction and some uh, some subscribers uh, to that podcast. Um, and then you also you also do a lot of work with uh, the the fire engineering podcast as well. That's actually the first area right. that, that that I I I knew of your name. You know, I didn't know of of uh, Chief Dan, uh, Danny Sheridan until um, I started listening to the uh, the first Do Battalion Chief podcast through right. fi- fire engineering and and. Um, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's well, that's gonna. My next one will be May twenty fifth because I'm going to Boston next week to do a little work with the Boston Fire Department. So I'm I'm gonna. I was supposed to do it. I think May fifth. Now I think it's gonna be May May twenty fifth. I think. And the calendar. Yeah. And for those that don't know that that are buffs and and are really into this job, uh, Chief Sheridan uh, talks with. In these episodes, a bunch of different people, but I know a reoccurring guest is Deputy Chief Schaefer from the Boston Fire Department. Um, in addition to uh, Deputy Chief uh, Lieb, um, and the conversations are really great. And uh, again, that that was my first exposure to you, Chief, and and just learning, uh, learning and listening to you know your discussions on 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 various 
you know, tactics and stuff on the job. And really, it's it's extremely interesting learning the the differences between um, Boston and, and, and New York uh, from everything from their, uh, you know, your 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 accountability system, your you know pre incident arrival systems to you know how they operate on a writ on a fast or a, a writ assignment. Um, all really interesting um, stuff. So, is that one going to be live as well? Yes. That'll be May 25th. Okay. So. Um, well, and then how do people get involved or how, how do people, um, you know, know the, 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 the link or the call-in number or when uh, is that going to be announced maybe a little bit later, the closer we get to the 25th? Yeah, it's, it's it, they blog took radio. It's fire engineering. If you just type Danny Sheridan, you go on fire engineering's website. There's a link to the, um, what you call it, to the podcast. Okay, and then and then all my podcasts I think are, are downloadable. I think they're all on there, so you could just go to Blog Talk Radio first, Fire Engineering, and they'll be on there. I'm also going to be out at FDIC August second doing fires in concealed spaces, as well as I'll probably be doing another podcast live from FDIC. And I got a book coming out eventually. I don't know when it's going to be called Parables from the Fire Ground. It's about thirty stories from my, my tenure in, in the FDNY. So I'm looking forward to that as well. When you, uh, when you hope uh, that gets, um, gets out there. I'm hoping for the next year's FDIC. Let's hope, you know, so. Roger that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. uh, Chief Sheridan, I, I, again, I appreciate your time and I wish uh, you and your family the best. Hopefully they're, you guys are, are, are uh, doing, doing okay with, uh, with the COVID and, yeah. um, all good. You know, ma- maintaining um, out that way. So, yeah. Uh, okay. well, well, Chief, I'll talk. Hopefully, I'll see you at FDIC. Um, if not, man, have a great one, and I wish you all the best. Thanks for having me on, Jack. All right, we'll see you. Bye. Bye. I want to thank Chief Sheridan for coming on, giving us his time, and talking about the job, talking about all the great things he's doing. Um, if you haven't check out Chief Sheridan on Facebook, on Instagram. And Twitter, he's on all the platforms. It's great stuff. It's simple, um, scene size up all the way to command level things that are, I'll be honest with you, well above my head. Uh, and if you haven't, like, subscribe, listen to the podcast for Above the Standard, and uh, follow us on Instagram, on TikTok, and Facebook. So until next time, have a great day. We'll see you. Bye.